Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. All right, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 25 through 37. I'd like to read them first just to kind of give us an idea of where we're at. I know that if you were at community group, you probably studied the passage this week. But I'd like to read through it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Our Father in heaven, help us to understand so clearly who you are. And what you ask of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was about 29 years ago, a huge, hulking kind of guy in a gymnasium came up to me and he said, Hey, do you know if you're going to heaven or not? And I said, I sure hope so. And he said, you hope so? Don't you know that you can know? And I thought to myself, I'm not not really sure if you can really know. So we began to have a conversation, and he said, you know what? I I think you should come to this Bible study that we're having, and uh, I'd like to show you that you can actually know that you can go to heaven, which for me was the beginning of a spiritual journey of finally coming to a place of really seeing Jesus for who he really is, And ultimately what he has done, not only for me, but for the whole world. It's an interesting question. How do you know that you have eternal life? I would imagine if we took a survey here today, most, if not all of us, would say, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I have eternal life. But the question is, in my mind at least, how do you really know? What is the basis? What is the 
thing or things that we base this assurance on. It was probably about 27 years ago that I was in a car with someone else having a conversation and we were talking about eternal life and they asked, how do you know? And I said, I know, I'm positive that I'm going to heaven. And they looked at me and they they were like, that's arrogant. How do you know? How do you think that you know? What, what, What makes you so proud to think that you're so good and everybody else isn't as good as you in order to get to heaven? And that was sort of a, an interesting discussion that really didn't end up as much as I would have liked it to have ended up. But I think it's a question that a lot of people ask or aren't asking but should be asking, which is similar to what's going on here as we look at this parable and this story about the lawyer and ultimately the good Samaritan. Look at verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, when we're talking about someone who is an expert in the law, we're not talking someone who is an expert in the terms of civil law or criminal law, but actually religious law. So we're talking about some guy here who was an expert in the Old Testament. He would know it through and through. He would know what was really what God required of people to know whether or not they have eternal life. But he's testing Jesus. Now, I don't know why he's testing Jesus. I can't read into his motives. He might be testing Jesus because he wants to trap him. Like, ha, you have the wrong answer. It's kind of like sometimes, uh, for instance, my uh, daughter Christina at UIC took a test last week, a midterm, and uh, she, afterwards on Facebook she was writing, where did these questions come from? And it made me think, like, why is a teacher teaching a class and then asking questions that he hasn't even dealt with in class? It seems like the test is just to trap people and make them think that they're not very smart or as smart as him, which is what this lawyer could be doing. He could be trying to simply trap Jesus. Or on the flip side, he he might be really thinking, you know what, I've been listening to Jesus and I want to know, I want to make sure that this Jesus guy really has it right because I want to follow him, but I'm just not sure. Either way, he's testing Jesus. And the question is pretty good. He says, teacher, he's respectful. He's not being disrespectful. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, rather than just answering the question, because, you know, sometimes as a pastor, we just want to tell you, here's what you do. Uh, you believe on the Lord Jesus. Not yet, obviously, because he hasn't, but if for us today. But you do these things, these things get done, and thus, you know. But Jesus wants to now test him and see, do you really know what it means to have eternal life? So he turns it around. He says, well, what's written in the law? You're an expert. You know what's going on. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he said pretty clearly, Verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's great. That is an excellent answer. You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. You would think that the conversation's over, but the lawyer's not satisfied because something must have prodded him to go a step further. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. What this means is that the lawyer was sitting there and he answered the right thing and him and Jesus were on the same page and there should have been a sort of connection like, yeah, we understand each other. We know what it means to have eternal life. But you know what? As I'm thinking about this, maybe, you know, he wants to stand out among the crowd and he goes, well, um, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? So that everybody looks and go, wow, 
They could be saying he's so profound or maybe he really is seeking to have an answer. Well, how does Jesus reply? Well, if you look at verse 30, Jesus doesn't say, well, your neighbor is the Pharisee or the Sadducee down the street. He doesn't say your neighbor is the Jewish guys in your synagogue. He doesn't say your neighbor is this and this, but he, in a very strange manner, answers with a story or with a parable. Now, when we read this parable or this story, many of us think the idea that Jesus is trying to teach is to be a good Samaritan. That is not the point of this parable. It is not. Now, what I'm not saying is don't be a good Samaritan. But it's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is what must I do or how do I know that I have eternal life? And you have to understand that because Jesus isn't going to say your neighbor is a specific person. He's not going to say that your neighbor is this, this, or that. He's going to say, how do you know that you have eternal life? You know by how neighborly you are. Let's look at the parable again. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. In other words... They robbed him. And they didn't just take his money, but they actually beat him pretty seriously. Now, I don't remember which group it was. I think it was the Vinehouse group. And I don't remember who sent it out, but I think it was, was it Derek that sent out that email about what you do when somebody robs you? If somebody robs you, you take out your wallet and you throw your wallet away and then you run in the other direction. Does anyone remember that email? Okay, right? Who was that? Uh, close enough. Derek, Victor. There's an R in there somewhere. Anyway... So, but the idea is these guys, they don't want just the money. They just, they just beat on him. So they take everything that the guy has and they beat him to a pulp so much so that he's basically lying on the road there half dead. Not very friendly guys, but it moves on. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by. On the other side. Now, I don't want us to think that these guys are necessarily bad guys. They may have actually been doing what they believed God wanted them to do, which was pretty simple. If we touch a dead body, then we have to spend a whole week or so being cleansed and we can't fulfill our religious duties. So in a sense, they may have been thinking, you know what, we're going to do what God wants us to do. The guy's half dead. He's probably going to die anyway. So why should I touch him? And if I touch him, then I can't do ministry. And if I can't do ministry, then think of all the people who aren't going to get to know God more this week because I'm going to be out. That's what they might have been thinking. They missed the point, though. Because there was no love or compassion that they had. In total contrast to the next guy in verse 32, 33, where it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. In other words, he had compassion. There was something deep within his soul that was stirred when he saw this man lying on the road, beaten, naked, with nothing just barely clinging on or hanging on to life where this compassion dripped out of him and he knew that he had to do something. And he does. He does something. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil on him and, and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. 
And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Jesus finishes with a question. Which of these three do you think was neighborly or a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert replied, the one who had mercy or compassion on him. Jesus' point isn't to describe what the neighbor looks like in terms of who he or she is as a person, but how they act. You see, the expert in the law said, how can I know that I have eternal life? What must I do? Jesus responds by saying, you must have love. They will know that we are Christians Not by our doctrine, not by our theology, not by the necessarily good things that we do, but by the fact that we love. So what Jesus is saying in this parable is not be a good Samaritan. He's not saying as Christians, if if you're really going to be a Christian, go out there and be a good Samaritan. That will show them. No, what he's saying is if you want to know whether or not you have eternal life, Look inside of your heart and see there whether or not you love. Like this Samaritan man loved. It wasn't about the fact that he was doing something, but it all starts with the fact that when he saw that man on the road, he had compassion because inside of him, a love burst out and said, how can I meet this need? And that is ultimately the point of what Jesus is trying to say in this parable. If you want to sit there every Sunday and recognize, am I really knowing God? The only thing that you really have to ask is, am I growing in the way that I love people? And not just loving them in the sense that I'm nice to them and I'm kind to them, but really loving them from the heart. I think many times when we go to church, our evaluation of whether or not we're growing is based on whether or not we have our quiet times and the length of them. I'm growing because I've extended the amount of time that I'm actually reading the Bible. I've gone so far as now to have the Bible in the car and I'm listening to it on CD. So I must be growing. And I don't know about you, but I actually listen sometimes to the Bible while I'm driving. And yet I still get angry at people while I'm driving. I still think thoughts that I shouldn't be thinking, and it immediately strikes me as, where's the love? It's not because I'm doing something that reveals whether or not I have eternal life. It's what's going on inside of my heart. Am I growing in not only my love for God, but my love for people? And if that love isn't growing, even in the the midst of our, our, our church, in the midst of our community groups, if you don't sense a growing sense of love for you, then it is most likely that that spiritual growth that you're experiencing really isn't true spiritual growth. Because if there's no love behind it, it really doesn't mean as much. It's kind of like doing Sweetest Day or Valentine's Day or celebrating an anniversary with your wife and coming home with all of these beautiful gifts and taking her out to dinner and spending the night out and at the end of the night saying, honey, I hope you loved that whole day, that whole experience because I had to do it. Doesn't that kind of ruin it? 
If you've ever, I mean, try that. Let's try that next time around on an anniversary. You want to try that, Kelly? What do you think? You, you, you know, right? It'd be like, Dave, man, you're on the couch, brother. Yeah, because it just doesn't work. That it's all about love. And that's the point of this parable. And I, and I would have been, it'd been nice to be at the small groups to see, you know, everybody's like, I got to be a good Samaritan. How can I meet somebody's needs? And, and missing the absolute point of what's really going on here. So how do you know that you have eternal life? Just look in your heart. Are you a more loving person? Are you a person who is less selfish than you were when you first came to Christ and understood what it meant to follow him? And if you have seen that love grow, then you have an understanding that you now know what it is to have eternal life. And if you're not growing in that love, you ask the opposite question. Have I really understood what it means to have eternal life. So, the parable is not about being a good Samaritan, but the good Samaritan reveals a lot. And here's the cool thing that I actually like about this parable. What kind of love are you supposed to have for people? Well, let's see the kind of love that he has. Let's go back to verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. Now, some commentators said this might have actually been a true story that Jesus was using, parable or true story, either way, not being able to read into his mind, but it's most likely that he's on a business trip. He is headed somewhere. He has a destination in mind. He's not just driving around for the sake of driving around. I can remember about 20 years ago, a friend and I, we drove down to Champaign uh, in the middle of the night just to drive down to Champaign to say that we did it. Purposeless journey but done just because we just wanted to do it. That's not this guy. This guy has a purpose. He's got a business. He is going somewhere. But in the midst of his journey, he happens upon this man who is lying on the side of the road. And instead of passing by somewhere else, when he sees him, compassion was stirred within his soul. And then he went to him. He bent down and he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine on him. In other words, he doesn't just kind of like, you know, get it, you know, like today in an instance, if we took it in a different manner, it's not like he uh, called a taxi and said, hey, take this guy to Cook County Hospital and uh, see you later kind of thing. But I'm here to comfort him. I'm the one who called 911 and that's good enough for me. But instead, what he's doing is he's looking at him on the side of the road. He says, I have to do something. I need to do something. I cannot move on because this compassion and this love is welling up beside me. And I'm not worried about cleanliness and uncleanliness. All I know is that this guy before me is dying. And if someone doesn't do something, nothing is going to get done. So he's kneeling behind, beside him and he says, now this is good. I, I got him stabilized. He puts him on his own donkey. He takes him to an inn where then he will take care of him for the evening. Now, remember, this guy's on a business trip. How many of you guys that are, are traveling can imagine, you know, I have to be at this project Monday morning and you go to the airport and on the way to the airport, you come across this person who's on the highway and it's a serious accident. And then you say, you know what? I'm not going to go on this business trip. I'm going to take care of this guy. How many of you would be willing to do that? Calvin, how about you? Wouldn't that be a great way to lose a job? Yeah, it'd be a great way to lose a job. Now, it's not because he doesn't have any compassion or he's compassionless. I'm not picking on you because I think that you are like that. But it's not something that a normal business person does. I mean, drop them off and go. 
But because his compassion, this love is so great in this man, he says, I can't just leave him. I have to know that he's actually getting better. So he stays the night and he's taking care of him. He's, he's cleaning wounds and he's making sure that this guy is ultimately going to get better. The next day he goes up to the innkeeper and he says, here, man, here's a couple hundred dollars. Some commentators say up to two worths, two months worth of wages. And he says for two months, because this guy's in bad shape, I want you to take care of him, feed him, give him drink, physical therapy, occupational therapy, any kind of therapy he needs. Just make sure that you take care of him. And then when I get back, if it went beyond that, I'm going to pay for that too. So the whole parable is about this. What must I do or how will I know that I have eternal life? Look inside your heart. Do you love? And not just a little love because ultimately what we see in the Good Samaritan is extravagant love. So we're not just talking about sitting here and going, you know, like Jacob looks over at Stephanie and goes, you know what, man, we've been an accountability partner for a couple of years and I think about you. I love you, man. Stephen goes, I'm not giving you my Bud Light. No, sorry, that's another joke from another time. Sorry. Thank you. Only a few of you know that one. But that's not the kind of love I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of love that when you see someone who has a need, that you go out of your way to meet that need because you love them, and then you continue to walk with them because you love them to make sure that ultimately that need is fully met. That is an extravagant type of love. It's the kind of love that a man has before he gets engaged because he does all these great things, and he says, I'm going to win her heart, and I'm going to do these things that bring her, and she goes, man, that is the man for me. And we do all these extravagant things just to make sure that she knows that she is the most treasured person that I have in my life. And I love her. That's the kind of extravagance that the Samaritan goes through and expresses to this man that he doesn't even know. And the only thing that he knows about him is that he is in great need and he goes to great lengths because he is so full of love in the midst of this extravagant compassion that he has in order to see ultimately that this man's needs are fully met. That's love. Now, I know sometimes at Harvest we talk a lot about marriage and kids and sometimes, you know, you're sitting there as a single and saying, man, it's really hard to be here because that's all you guys talk about. But I, I want to... As, as true as that is, but I want to last night tell you how emotional it was for me. Because as I'm preparing for this sermon, I'm crying all over the house. And I don't know why I'm crying other than I keep thinking about this extravagant love that this good Samaritan has for this stranger. And all I can think about is my family. And all I can think about is are my kids. And I'm in the kitchen and I'm holding little Jenny in my arms. And Christina goes like, well, what, do you think we'll keep her and stuff like that? And I had to turn like this because I didn't want her to see her, me crying because I don't want my college daughter going, hey, what are you crying for? And then you, know, you have to deal with that. So, so it's like, but it's an extravagant love that says, you know what? I don't want to let this kid go whom I know nothing about 13 some months ago, but because she has become a part of me, all I want to do is to continue to express extravagant love to her. And then I start thinking about all my kids and I'm getting all kind of weepy because I'm thinking like, wow, it's so... I have, I have good kids. God has blessed us with good kids. And I just want to give them everything. And I don't mean like things. I don't want to give them all the things so that they get to be spoiled brats and grow up and be criminals and stuff like that. But I mean, I'm just talking about really extravagantly expressing the love that is in my heart. And I don't think my kids know. I don't think they really comprehend how deep it is 
that we, my wife and I, love them as children. They are, are, are a part of us. And they help me to understand what it means to have Jesus in your heart. Because when they hurt, I hurt. And when they experience joy, I experience joy. And because I want to express this extravagant love for them, and I want them to know that, it's like, it's like I want them to be consumed by that, I understand what the Good Samaritan is like, because he's consumed with this love, and he wants this stranger to be taken care of, ultimately to give us a picture of, how do you know that you have eternal life? Because you experience and express extravagant love. I can't see a grumpy Christian being a reality. I mean, I can see being grumpy. Trust me, I'm grumpy. I have my moments of being grumpy. But someone who is perpetually grumpy makes me wonder, do you really know what it means to have and experience eternal life? Because it's not about the piety. Because this lawyer who was an expert in the law was probably a very pious man. And the examples that Jesus is using of a priest and a Levite, probably pious men who knew how to understand the scripture, maybe even teach it, who knew how to do the sacrifice thing, who knew how to pray and who knew how to minister to people's ultimate sin, need for sin and forgiveness and all that. Not need for sin, sorry. Need for forgiveness of sin so that you don't run out doing sin. But Jesus doesn't say they're the good neighbors. He doesn't say they're the neighborly ones. He says this guy, whom every other Jew would think is a half-breed because they like mixed up their religion, not really good. This guy understood eternal life. It's kind of like if we turn the, the parable around, instead of saying a priest, a Southern Baptist minister is the first guy. A Presbyterian minister is the second guy, and the Good Samaritan is an Episcopalian. Because they're not supposed to know anything about God, right? But he understood. The Good Samaritan, the guy who should have walked on because figuring this Jewish guy probably doesn't like me anyway, is the very guy who expresses extravagant love and gives us a picture of what it means to know that you have eternal life. Now, here's the thing. If you're sitting there, you're probably going to yourself, man, this is discouraging because I know that I don't love people like I'm supposed to. I mean, I have a problem with the second commandment, but then we're going to throw on the first commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can't even do that. I think ultimately what Jesus is trying to get this lawyer to a place is to understand that this cannot be done. I do not want you to leave here thinking, I've got to love more. I do not want you to leave here thinking, I've got to love God more. I've got to give 100%. You know, sometimes as pastors we say, if you don't give God 100%, I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't count. You can give 99%, but that 1% means everything you've offered ruins it all. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that a great message? I'm following God 99%, but I'm missing my 1%. Oh, it's a waste of time. Why even do that? Which is why the lawyer is justifying himself. I can't do this. Give me something I can do. Tell me who my neighbor is. Tell me that my neighbor is really my physical neighbor. Because you know what? I'll cut his grass. Ooh, careful there. Even this is getting excited. Relax. I'll cut his grass. 
I'll, I'll, I'll pick weeds in his garden because I'll express love. Just give me something to do. And ultimately, and you look at all of Scripture, Jesus is saying, this cannot be done. It is not about doing. It's about having eternal life. And when eternal life is in you, it expresses itself through love. That's a world of difference. You know why? Because I think many of us come to church Sunday after Sunday striving to do something in order to be someone missing the point that God is calling us simply to be. That's a world of difference. These commandments are unfulfillable without the help of God. So how do you know? That you have eternal life. It's not about doing things. And I would hope that the application in community group or even in Sunday service here isn't, you know what, man, I just, I just going to go out of here and I'm going to love more. And that phone call that I was supposed to make up, uh, make on, on doing some follow up on somebody, I'm just going to do that to show that I have love. But there's no heart there, but I'm going to do it anyway. And sometimes that's what love is. I don't want to drive my kids back and forth to some things. Sometimes I just want to stop driving because we drive from place to place to place. And sometimes I do it because there isn't the most loving heart, but that's part of what love is. But the expression of love here, ultimately that we as those who would have eternal life, is something that does have feeling. It does have passion. It does have compassion. And that compassion and feeling is expressed quite simply because it's an expression of our hearts. It's that place where you get um, the way I feel for my wife or the way I feel for my kids. I'm not doing this just so you can be happy. I'm doing this because I want you to know that I love you. You know, yesterday, uh, uh, before I went to sleep, I, I wanted to tell Christina, my daughter, I said, you know, you know that I love you, right? And I wanted it to be, I guess maybe I was trying to manipulate her to you know, get it all emotional sort of thing. Like, oh, I love you too, Dad. She's like, yeah, I know. I like, oh, man. <laughs> Come on. Give me a little room here to move. But I was like, okay, fine. All right, I'm not going to cry. And I'm just going to go to my room. But do you understand what I'm saying? There's a heart. It's the heart of the matter. This is what eternal life is about. Because Jesus isn't pointing to something to do by giving us this parable of the Good Samaritan. He's not pointing us directly to specific people. He's pointing us to love, extravagant love. It's the extravagant love that God has for each and every one of us. In the midst of our mess, in the midst of our rejection of who God is and what God has done for us. And we say, God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to live for myself. And then God comes along and says, I love you. And I'm going to tell you how I love you. I gave my only son and that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you extravagant love and not just the love that's in the head, but the heart because God really wants to draw people to him. And that's because that eternal life is not something that's talking about length, but actual experience, love. Eternal life is knowing God, experiencing that love. It's not living forever. It's a quality of life. 
not a quantity of life. And so Jesus ultimately wants this lawyer to see that the quality of your heart will reveal whether or not you have this eternal life. It will come out, it will be expressed in the way that you live your life. So don't leave here today vowing to become a more loving person. I would encourage you instead to leave here today. If you're going to make any vow, it would be to simply know God and let eternal life grow in you. The more you look at him, reflect on him, see him for who he is, and let that life grow in you so that then what comes out of you is an expression of that which is already in your heart. Eternal life. And that ultimately, I think, is what Jesus is trying to hear to say to this lawyer. It is not about doing. It is about being. And once you are, it automatically will express itself. So how do you know? How do you know you have eternal life? Can you answer someone who comes up to you and says, do you know whether or not you're going to heaven? And not be arrogant about it. But to quite simply say, I know because God has given me love that I never had before. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. We know that People will know who Christians are by the way that they love. By the way they extravagantly love. By the way they give of themselves fully and completely. Emptying themselves of everything just like Jesus because of love. Father, we pray that you will draw us into your presence Free us from the bondage of doing. Bring us to a place where being your children and being in your presence is what swallows up our lives. And Father, then express your extravagant love through us. Lead us in what it means to love those who are around us. those who don't love. May we return love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.